Well, I am grateful to be here today. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to the book of 1 John, the second chapter, and we're going to hone in on 1 John 2, 12 to 14. I've titled my message today, The Christian Walk, Encouragement for Everyone. And the reason that I've, I've been thinking a lot about the, these things um, and just contemplating 1 John, because I've actually been preaching through 1 John at uh, uh, a local rescue mission in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so I started thinking about this particular section because uh, John has some very specific words to say to very specific groups of people. And so let's just read this passage together and then we'll zero in a little bit more as we go. He says, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the Father. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So, uh, we're just going to go through one at a time. Um, these different points. First, we're going to look at encouragement for ch for children. First uh, John two twelve. We'll read that one more time. First John two twelve says, "I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you." For his name's sake. Remember that Jesus said while he was on earth in ministry, he said, Unless you have the faith of a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So, and then he also said when the disciples said that Jesus was too busy for the little children, he said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And my parents have really taught me a lot about loving children. I was the oldest of 12 children. And now, as of yesterday, I have 21 nieces and nephews. Um, and uh, so I'm always around children. I, I love children, and I believe that God loves children too. And so he wants us to hold them in high regard. And uh, I, I just... I think it's it's very simple here what it says. Your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I think it's neat that often the psalmist, when he when he's crying out to God, when he's asking God to preserve him, when he's asking God to save him out of his troubles, he doesn't say because of how great I am. He says, because of your name's sake, because of the promises that you have made to me. We appeal to God on the basis of His character, on the basis of the promises that He makes to us, because if we appeal to Him on the basis of our merit, there wouldn't be anything to bring us to Him. 
because we don't deserve Him. We deserve darkness and hell and separation from God. But God in His mercy sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to save us from our sins and to rise again the third day showing that He had guaranteed that that was enough. That that was what God had given as a way to show that this payment was made. And so, um, if you know anything about little children, you know that often they believe what you tell them. If you tell them something, they don't necessarily an analyze it. Some children are more <laughs> over-analytical, and usually when we come across an analytical child, we say that they're wise or astute beyond their years because usually a young child, especially a very young child, will just believe what you say. And so I think that's why Jesus wants us to be children as far as spiritually speaking because the things of the Spirit are uh, by faith perceived. They don't make sense. The Bible says the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And so... Um, uh, I want to look at a couple cross-references um, uh, here. The first one is in Luke 18, 15-17. If someone has a Bible and wants to turn to these to make it easier on me. Luke 18, 15-17. If somebody gets that, if you could stand and read that for us, very much appreciate it. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for Him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Uh, 15 to 17. 17. Uh, but Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little children, little, little child, will, not, will never enter it. So Jesus kind of flips the paradigm on its face. Because the world would say, and even the religious leaders would say, that we became religious leaders, we became influential, influential in society because we had years and years of experience. And that's what gave us what we have. So as a child, we're, we're going to, I mean, and they did the same thing with women. They marginalized them. I, I heard it said this week that in the Jewish culture, the testimony of, 500 women, I think they said, and this might have been a slight exaggeration, but basically the testimony of 500 women was about equal to the testimony of one man. That's the way that they perceived things culturally. And Jesus definitely flipped that on its head um, by inter the way he interacted with women and also, like I said, the way he interacted with children. When he fed the 5,000, he took the lunch of a young boy five loaves and two fishes, and he fed 5,000 people with it. Now, I, he doesn't say anything about the young boy. He doesn't say his name. But I wonder if we'll see him in heaven one day and we'll be able to talk to him personally about that experience. God loves children, and Jesus showed that in the way that he interacted with them. He didn't uh, say that they were, they were too young to understand. As a matter of fact, he says, out of the mouths of babes... Hast thou ordained strength? When the children were saying, Hosanna is the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David when they were running through the temple. Jesus never 
forbade them. And uh, then a second cross-reference is Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. If someone can read that. Thank you. Yes. So for the children who are here, and actually we're all children in the sense that we all have parents. Because even as a young man in my late 30s, I still have an obligation to honor my parents and to give them respect because of what they've given for me. And because I live under their roof still, I honor their expectations because they know what's best. They've been to places that I haven't been and been through life stages that I have not yet experienced. And I think about the fact that in Deuteronomy it says, and in this passage it says, this is the first commandment with a promise. Then it may be well with you. You want to live a long life? You want to have success in life? You want to excel in school? You honor your parents. And I think that also applies to honoring other authorities as well. The psalmist said, I am wiser than all my teachers because I know your statutes. So as we go into school tomorrow, and I'll be heading back to school because I work at the Potter's House Christian School, and so my friends here go to the Potter's House Christian School, so they're not getting rid of me. But... Uh, but as we head into another school year, it's something important to remember that we should honor our parents and part of honoring our parents is honoring the other authorities that God has placed in our lives, meaning teachers and other staff members at school. So I just want to encourage you that God has big plans for children. He doesn't exclude them from the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, he says they are the basis for the kingdom of heaven. And surely the kingdom of heaven could not grow if we were not welcoming children. And so I really appreciate that. I also think it's important for us to realize that little children can accept the gifts of salvation. I found this poem called Two Little Children and I want to share it with you. Said a precious little laddie to his father one bright day, May I give myself to Jesus. Let him wash my sins away. Oh, my son, but you're too little. Wait until you older grow. Bigger folk, tis true, do need him. But little folk are safe, you know. Said the father to his laddie as the storm was coming on. Are the sheep safely sheltered, safe within the fold, my son? All the big ones are, my father, but the lambs I let them go. For I didn't think that it mattered. Little ones are safe, you know. Oh, my brother, oh, my sister... Have you too made that mistake? Little hearts that now are yielding may be hardened then too late. Ere the evil days come die them, let the children come to me, and forbid them not, said Jesus, for such shall my kingdom be. So, and that's an unknown. I don't know who wrote it, but I thought it was really good. And so I thought it would be a good idea to share that here. So, our first point is that he wrote on to little children because they were saved by faith in Jesus Christ. 
The second one is encouragement for young men. And when I was a teenager, and I'm sure others have felt this way, I knew everything there was to know. Just ask my parents, they'll tell you. I knew everything. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. And the sooner you can realize how much you don't know, the more you will actually know. I think it's interesting that the Apostle Paul, as he progresses through his life as a believer, he thinks less and less of himself. Because his first thought is, I'm the least of all the apostles. And his final thought, or one of his final thoughts before he dies, is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So as he progresses through, his opinion of himself grows lower because just as John said, John the Baptist, I must decrease, he must increase. And that's the way we should live our lives. So let's see what, what God says to to young men. First John two thirteen. Oh, did I do this wrong? I think I might have. Let's see. Okay. Okay. No, it's the same verse. So we'll read the whole verse. I write unto you, I, I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. And then it says later, I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you. So let's consider that for a minute. Um, God had a habit in the scriptures of using people that did not uh, expect to be used. Uh, Joseph was one of the youngest of his brothers. He was about 17, 18 years old when he was sold into slavery and he rose to power among the slaves and then he was put into prison, rose to power in the prison and then was pulled out of prison and became the governor of all Egypt and saved many people alive, his own family, which preserved a nation. When God chose Gideon, what did Gideon say? I am the youngest of the youngest tribe, and I'm in the smallest family of that tribe. And what was Gideon doing when he was found? He was in a wine press threshing wheat because he was afraid of the Midianites. And yet God said this. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. One of my favorite things about God is that he sees us not for who we are now, but for who we have the potential to be. I am not perfect. I'm still a work in progress. But when God looks at me, he sees me as a redeemed, perfect son of God because he sees me through the righteousness of his own son. And for the young men here, I have a couple of verses I want to share with you. 1 Timothy 4.12 1 Timothy 4.12 and, and 
needless to say, but I'll say it anyway, this applies for for the women as well. Um, God, these messages apply to you as well. But, but uh, because the truth of God is universal. But 1 Timothy 4.12. If somebody has that, they can read it for us. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So, let no man despise your youth. I often tell my students, whether they're freshmen or juniors or seniors, that they can be an example to those who are older than them. They can be an example to anyone around. They don't have to let their age dictate that they will be immature. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you're younger than a lot of people with your responsibility, but don't let people despise that about you. Be an example to them in faith, in the word of God, in purity. The Bible says, how then shall a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed thereto according to the word. Oh God. Psalm 119, verse 9. These are the choices that we must make. Alright, we have one more verse for the young men here today. And that is 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8. 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8. this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and, and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love for you know for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ now we could do a whole sermon series based on just that list. And I won't take that long to go through it. I just want to bring out a couple interesting things. And that is, the first one on there is faith. <clears throat> and then virtue or character. And then knowledge. Because knowledge without the first two, Bible says knowledge by itself puffeth up. So knowledge, apart from the Spirit of God, is not what we should aspire to. You can be a straight-A student all your life and still miss the important things of what um, God is teaching. I wrote a book, which is available on Amazon, but I talked about virtuous manhood. And one of the things that I talk about in there is that what good is it for your children to master calculus if they haven't learned to follow the voice of the best of masters, Jesus Christ? God's not looking for eggheads. He's not looking for extremely intellectual, intelligent people, although He does use them. Dr. Luke was used mightily by Him. What He's looking for is someone who is willing to be used by Him. 
and then he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that he could ever ask or think. And as we add these characteristics into our life, it brings up another point too, because for all of us, if we're honest, we've had struggles with sin. And as we turn away from sin, the devil is going to keep trying to tempt us to do more sins. So what's the answer to it? The answer is, as we put off things, as you look at Colossians chapter 3, has a whole list of things to put off. And then immediately upon finishing the put off list, it brings in a put on list. Why? Because every void that we leave in our life needs to be filled with something. If we don't fill the voids left by sin with good things, they'll be filled with even more sin. I like the story that Jesus tells when he talks about the demon leaving a, a man's house. It's like as if he swept it clean, but he left it empty. And then the demon left and he returned with the friends. And it says the state of that man was worse than it had been in the first place. So as you eradicate sin from your life, you need to add in the good things. The faith, the virtue, the brotherly kindness, the love. All that stuff needs to go in where the sin once abounded. So that you can be used effectively for Jesus. Benjamin Disraeli was a British politician and he said this the youth of a nation are the trustees of posterity the young people that we see today are the leaders of tomorrow that's why it's so important when I talk to young people I tell them your journey with God doesn't start when you turn 18 your journey toward manhood doesn't start when you turn 18 it starts now. One of the best things that my dad ever did for me is when I was 13, he sat me down and he said, today you become a man. Start acting like it. Now that didn't mean that I avoided all the teenage problems. It didn't mean that I was perfect from here on out. My family will tell you I'm still not perfect. But it did mean that he had an expectation. And because of that expectation, I was able to avoid a lot of the pitfalls because I wasn't living up to my focus wasn't to live up to societal norms my focus was to rise above them my focus was not to be the best teenager I could did you know that teenager did not come into our vocabulary until the 1940s in Reader's Digest there used to be a simple transition from childhood to manhood and Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. But somehow along the way, in the 1940s, we decided that there was this other class of person called the teenager. And we make a lot of excuses for teenagers based on the fact that they're teenagers. Now, I'm not going to say it's an easy time of life. Things are changing. Your body's changing. Things around you are changing. Expectations are changing. School gets more difficult. I'm not going to say it's easy. But the Bible never says that the Christian life is easy. The Bible says that if you want to follow Jesus, you have to take up your cross daily and deny yourself and follow Him. That's what He says to you. Whether you're a 6-year-old Christian, whether you're a 15-year-old Christian, or whether you're a 40-year-old Christian, that's what He says to you. 
So I want to encourage you in that. And then finally, I want to talk to fathers. It says, first I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. And then in verse 14, he says, I have written unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have, And so he kind of reiterates um, those, those things. He says it twice. When God says something twice, it must be very important. Because everything that God says is important. When he repeats himself, it's very important. And uh, he is saying to fathers, these are things that you know, that you've been versed in, and now you have a responsibility to pass them on to the next generation. Now, I'm not a father yet. I still aspire to be one day. I don't know what God has in store, but I know it will be good. But I feel a certain, uh, a certain amount of fatherly feelings toward the students that I have at the Potter's House. And I try to impart upon them and to my nephews and nieces and other children in my life the love of the Father God that we have in heaven. Now I realize that not everybody has a good father. My own father lost his father when he was four years old. Doesn't remember much about him. Came to know the Lord a year later at five and says that he can truly live out the verse in Psalms that says God is a father to the fatherless and a habitation of widows. And so, my dad has taught me to rely on God in a very real way. And it's because I've seen him model that, that, uh, that I've been able to live the life that I have. When I graduated from college in 2006, my main goals were two. I was looking for a full-time job so that I could then buy a house and settle down with a wife and raise a family to the glory of God. I still have the goals eventually to buy the house and settle down with a wife but my dad helped me to see that God had a message for me to share. He said, you have a powerful testimony and you need to be sharing it with others. And so in 2009, speaking for him was born. Along with traveling throughout the state and to other states when given the opportunity to preach the word of God, I also have a weekly podcast, which will at least be going through October. And uh, then we'll see what God has next if he's closing that door. But it took me a while to fully surrender to ministry and to allow God to work things out. And now I have this ministry and I have a, a job that complements that ministry and being able to work 
in the school year and to devote more time in the summer to the ministry portion of my calling. But it was really difficult to, to make sure as I was looking for work that I didn't accept a job that would compromise my calling before God. I've heard some preachers say that you know you're called to preach if, because he says, if you can do anything else, do that anything else. But if you can't do anything else but preach, then preach you must. And that is definitely been true in my life. I would not be able to work a job where I had to sit on my hands and not preach. I'm grateful to work at a Christian school where I can talk about Jesus all day long if I want to. It's so wonderful. It was wonderful this past week to spend two days with my Christian co-workers praying and preparing for the school year. To pray with my boss about today and about the future. Not too many people can say that they were able to pray one-on-one -on -one with their boss before their year began, but I was able to. And I thank God for that. I still pinch myself sometimes when I think about the opportunity I have to work where I do. So I want to encourage fathers to be an example. And if you're a grandfather, it still counts. If you have no children, it still counts because there's people in your life that you probably have a father place in their life. Let's look at a couple verses for fathers now. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians 6, 4. Again, if somebody gets to it, they can feel free to read it for us. Thank you. So a father's job, as I've alluded to already, is to teach them to love God. Now it's always possible that you had an angry father, and so that is your perception of God, that he's unapproachable, that he's always angry. I'm fortunate to have a father who when he does get angry, and when he does make mistakes, he comes to me and he apologizes and he asks forgiveness. So I know that God is a God of forgiveness because my father models that. I know that my God is patient because my father has modeled patience with me. I know that my God is slow to anger because my father has shown in his own life how God worked with him and was patient with him. So it's important, even if you are just a father figure to someone, to model these qualities, to provoke, the not, not to make the people under you unduly angry, but to nurture them in the things of the Lord. We see a lot of examples in the Bible of how not to do things. David, in his life, he had eight wives, at least. 
And it's interesting how people sometimes will point out that God never expressly condemns polygamy in the Bible. Like, it's never, like, you shall not do this. But often it's in, it's in the, it's in the uh, self-imposed consequences. Because David had a bunch of children from a bunch of different wives, and they didn't really like each other that much. And one time Absalom killed his half-brother Amnon for what he did to his sister. And David never dealt with Absalom in the proper way. Then you can look at Eli, who never restrained his sons from doing evil things in their practice as a priest. And that had its own consequences because they both died the same day, along with at least one of their wives, if not both of them, and their unborn children. So being a father is important. It carries weight. Let's look at that further in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 8. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 8. Blake, if you could read that one, that would be awesome. You said verse 8? Uh, 4 to 8. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 8. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So, basically... God is saying here that everywhere you go is an opportunity to show forth the Word of God. Everywhere you go is an opportunity to teach your kids about following and serving God. I grew up homeschooled, and that was one thing that my parents did well. They, they considered every trip that we made a field trip. They would always ask us about where we've been, what we learned while we were there. So they taught us that learning wasn't just something that happened nine months of the year, but that it happened 24-7, 365. And I think we can apply this spiritually because everywhere we look, whether we're looking at nature, whether we're looking at headline news, whatever we're doing, we can see an opportunity to show forth the goodness of God. And also His judgment. You know, a lot of times people say, well, God is love. So why do you always talk about judgment or sin? But the thing is, folks, I can't fully understand the love of God until I understand the judgment of God that He delivered me from. That's when the love of God makes sense. That's when I can say what great love He had for me, that He made me His Son. That he pulled me out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock and put within my heart a new song. That's how I know what love is. Anything else is superficial at best. Love is one of the most overused words in the English language today. We say, I love pizza. We say, I love that TV show. 
and we say we love all kinds of different things. But the important thing is to love God. And out of that, become a vessel through which to love others. The Bible says that if a man would have friends, he should show himself friendly. And then it says, greater love has no man than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus says to us, you are my friend if you do whatsoever I command. I call you not servants, but friends, because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But everything that I am doing, I have told you. He didn't keep things hidden from us. He told the disciples at least three times, probably even more, but three times that were recorded, I'm going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of evil men. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise again the third day. And yet the women arrive at the tomb and they say, where's his body? And the angels say, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And then it says these words in the book of Luke. And they remembered his words. But they didn't remember his words until after the angels had talked to them. To them. So, we looked at the three different areas where God says that he wants to encourage us for children, for young men, for fathers. And as we said, these are also applicable for young women and for mothers as well. just want to close with this story. It says, a little boy was tempted to pluck some cherries from a tree which his father had forbidden him to touch. You need not be afraid, said his evil companion, for if your father shall find out that you have taken them, he is too kind to hurt you. Ah, said the brave little fellow, that is the very reason why I would not touch them. For though my father would not have hurt me, I should not hurt him by my disobedience. So, I think that's a good way to look at it. When we realize what Jesus has done for us, our desire then becomes to do the things that please Him. Jesus gives us that example when He says, I am come not to do my own will, but the will of my Father who has sent me. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows fall? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion, my cup I know he watches me. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let
Let not your heart be troubled. His tender words I hear, and resting on his promise, I lose my doubts and fears. For by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. <clears throat> his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give way to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him, far closer I may be, for his eye is of the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is of the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy, and I sing because I'm free, for his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And surely he watches each one of us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words of encouragement and in some ways admonishment from the Gospel of John. We pray that we would love you, that we would forsake the things of the world and that we would be better for it. We pray that we would leave here better people than we came because we've been under the sound of your word. We thank you for your redemption, Lord. Without it, none of us could be anything. But with it, we can do amazing things because you promised to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ever ask or think according to the hope that lies within us. We ask that you would bless each person that's here today, that you would make your face shine upon them and give them peace. In Jesus' name.